Brother, if the preaching is half as good as the music, we're going to have a great day. <laughs> and I think it will be because it's the word of God, not, not because of me. Um, you know, these days when the media talks about religious people, for the most part, we're all lumped together. Uh, Christians, Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, everything else you can think of. We're all lumped together as people of faith. And increasingly, that is used to distinguish us from the people of science. Uh, that's an absurd distinction, though. A proper view of God only enhances one's actual interest in pursuing science because we know that God made things in an orderly, observable universe. Things can be observed and tested and repeated. That's what actual science is. And we can learn some things about God by studying his handiwork. Uh, throughout history until very recently, the greatest scientists who made the greatest contributions to science were Christians or at least theists. Now we all know that among religious people, the world has a, a hierarchy of acceptability where conservative Christians are at the very bottom. And that's not just, I'm not saying that just because I am one and I feel oppressed. I'm saying that because the reason that we're at the bottom of that hierarchy is we have an objectable, unmoving source of truth that they do not like. Uh, we have a fixed point of reference. The Bible does not allow us to embrace whatever culture tells us to embrace at any given moment. Now, the world thinks that religion makes people violent. It makes people judgmental and intolerant and just mean in general. The thing is, they're exactly right about almost all religion. It does make people judgmental, intolerant, and mean. You know, I hear Christians say that Christianity is not a religion it's a relationship, and I understand what they mean. I understand the sentiment, and I agree with the sentiment. Uh, the problem is that James wrote in James one twenty seven, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So if James wasn't ready to give up and abandon the word religion altogether, then maybe we shouldn't either. We need to realize, though, that false religion is not harmless, it is dangerous, and it is damning to the souls of people that get into it. Jesus hated false religion. Those who follow false religions may be the kind of people that kill folks and blow up buildings, or they may be the really sweet neighbor you have next door that's very, very polite. But both types of false religion cause people to follow a path of destruction that leads you know, eternal, ever-living souls into hell. All false religion is hypocrisy because they claim to know God. They claim to have a way to God, and it is not true. They claim to know him, they talk about him, but they're really far away from him. Now let's take a moment to define hypocrisy. There's a great song by, by uh, the man Crowder in which he calls himself a hypocrite. And I, I think I know what he means. I think he means that, you know, there is, there's what a Christian ought to be, and then there's me, and I don't make it to where the Christian ought to be. Well, neither do I, and so I understand the sentiment. But this really isn't what a hypocrite is. 
A hypocrite is one who pretends to be something he's not. So if I come in here and tell you, hey guys, I'm a believer uh, who is a sinner. I still have the sin nature, but I'm a believer being continually transformed into the image of God. But I won't, I won't be in sinless perfection until I'm in his presence. Then I'm telling you the truth. I'm not telling you I'm pretending to be perfect now. And so a hypocrite really is, is somebody that says he's one thing and actually is another thing. We'll see today that Jesus unloaded with both barrels on religious hypocrites. Let's pray that we don't get ourselves in that crowd, and then we can reach those who are in that crowd before it's too late. Let's pray. Father, we do want to look at what Jesus thought about these religious hypocrites. And Father, may it never be that we fall into that category. Lord, there are many in churches this morning, right now, all across America, who do fall into that category. And Father, you know that they are the most difficult people to reach with the gospel. Father, I pray that you would do the supernatural work of opening eyes this morning wherever the gospel is taught. That wherever people are under the, uh, the word of God this morning who are believing that they can do something to earn their favor with you. Lord, that you would show them through the preaching of the gospel that this is not the case and you would bring souls to yourself. Father, teach us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we've got kind of a long passage. It's uh, Luke eleven, thirty-seven through 54. Luke wrote some very long chapters. We're getting to the end of chapter 11. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at table. Now let me tell you, there were a couple of meals that the Jews would eat during the day. One was sort of a brunch, and the other one was dinner. They would take a few hours to work in the morning, and then they would stop and eat. And this wasn't a grab-and-go kind of thing. They would relax, they'd chill out, they'd, they'd recline at table, and they'd take their time and eat. So when it says recline at table, unlike uh, Da Vinci's masterpiece of the Last Supper, they didn't all crowd around on seats at a table. Instead, they, they would recline, they'd lie down kind of on their, on their arm and prop themselves up by a very low table, and they would take their time to eat and visit and, and digest. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Now wait a minute, didn't Jesus teach us not to call people fools? Well, unless they're fools, and then, you know, Jesus knows, so he can say it. But give, a, give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to the Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. 
Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute. So the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary, yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. And he went away from there, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Our first point is that hypocrites only clean the outside. In this passage, we see a Pharisee invite Jesus over for a meal, and I don't know that this was a trap. I kind of don't think it was, because we see that uh, the Pharisee was astonished to see that Jesus didn't wash. So it wasn't that he was hoping he could catch Jesus in this breach of uh, tradition. It may have been a trap, but it also may have been just an honest attempt to get to know Jesus a little better and to hear his teaching. Well, Jesus confronts him really harshly, but what else could shake this guy out of his self-righteousness? You see, it's, it's not good to get invited over to dinner and to insult your host, but Jesus was there to give this guy a shot at realizing his condition. And to do that, he had to jolt him. He had to confront him with the truth and confront him hard over that truth. So he's trying to shake him out of that self-righteousness. In verse 38, it says, The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. Now, you, you might be thinking, I'm with the Pharisee. I think you, could, you, know, you should probably wash your hands before dinner. But this is not a matter of hygiene. Uh, the Pharisees had a practice of ceremonial washing that they would do where they would take a little bit of water and they would would put it on their fingertips and let it run down to their wrists. And there's even a prescription for how much water you needed. It was enough to fill up one and a half eggshells, okay? So it's just this little bit of water that they would put on their fingertips and let it run down. It was for show. And it was to show that they were ceremonially clean, okay? Because when they're out doing their first few hours of work, man, they might have come across a Gentile. They might have come across something a Gentile touched. There's no telling. They may have touched something unclean uh, and not known about it. So it's just this little ceremonial thing has nothing to do with hygiene. So you see, they wanted to make sure they didn't eat without this ceremony just in case they might have touched something unclean. Jesus was going to teach them if they're willing to hear, and that's the big if, if they're willing to hear him, that their internal uncleanness was a way bigger problem than whatever ceremonial thing they might have come into contact with. Verses 39 and 40 say this, And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, But inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? So if you were washing your dishes and you got the outside of the dish and you made sure that thing was sparkling and you didn't bother washing inside the cup, 
then that would be uh, obviously not something you do because you want the stuff, the food that you're going to actually put in your body, you want that to be clean. So you don't so much care about the outside, right? Have you ever been sitting in a restaurant and you've seen a utensil that looked kind of funky or a plate that looked kind of, you're like, hey, would you mind getting me another one of these? I've done that. But what I've never done is been served a plate and picked it up to examine the bottom of it. Okay, because I don't really care about the bottom of the thing. I want the top part where I'm going to be eating off it to be clean. Hypocrites worry only about how the outside looks. Disciples of Jesus worry about the inside and not just how it looks, but how it actually is. Now, we should concern ourselves with the outside also. Uh, Luke eleven forty one says, But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. The in, if the inside is actually in order and clean, then the outside will reflect that. You know, none of us has it all together. We know that. But we are supposed to be men and women of good reputation, right? We are supposed to have the outside clean. That helps us with our witness it helps us with our testimony. It's, it's a requirement of an elder or a pastor that they be a person of good reputation. So it's not that we don't care about the outside. It's that we have Jesus clean the inside and the outside looks clean as well. Instead of just polishing the outside to try to convince people that we're something that we actually are not. Christians spend their time and energy cleaning up what is inside through the power of the word and the power of the Spirit. So to go back to Jesus' analogy, if we liken a hypocrite to a cup and a genuine believer to a cup, these two cups may look the same on the outside, but they are very different on the inside. Jesus goes on to point out another trait of these hypocrites, and that is that Pharisees focus on the wrong things. In verse 42, it says, "'But woe to you, Pharisees!' For you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Now Jesus is not fussing at them for tithing their little herbs. okay? But he is pointing out how ridiculous it is for them to try and substitute that activity with the really important things. Justice and the love of God. Now, this is a really good time for you to consider what you focus on when it comes to your faith, okay? So, if you're not enough, join me, <laughs> all right? This is the crux of the message. we got to focus on the main things. He mentions justice. So, can you think of things that are, are justice causes that are actually Christian causes? The society will give you lots of justice causes that are nonsense, but there are Christian uh, concerns for justice. The pro-life movement would be the first that comes to mind for me. It is unjust, unjust. It is terribly unjust for us to take the lives of little preborn babies. Human trafficking is hugely unjust, and it's a terrible problem. I learned last week from somewhat of an expert in the area that Mississippi is number two in human trafficking. 
in the United States. I, I hope that's per capita. I don't know. But number two in Mississippi. Isn't that amazing? We don't see that. We don't think about that. It's not part of our world. And so we don't realize how bad it is. Uh, okay, so justice and the love of God. First thing is justice. The, sex th- the second thing is the great commandment. Do you remember that conversation that Jesus had with that lawyer? He said, hey, what are the great commandments? And the guy said, well, to love the Lord your God with all of your faculties. That's the great commandment. Jesus said, yep, it is. And the second one is this, love your neighbor as yourself. So if we're doing the main thing, we're going to be seeking justice We're going to be keeping the great commandments of loving God with all our faculties and loving our neighbors as ourselves. And we're going to be about the great commission. Jesus told us to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all the stuff that Jesus taught us. That is our calling. Those things are what we are supposed to pursue. So let me ask you this. Do you focus on reading a devotional and saying a prayer before meals, but neglect to seek justice? These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Now please take a moment and think through this with me. Do you focus on reading a devotional and saying prayers before meals, but neglect to love God and love people in a concrete way? Do you focus on reading a devotional and saying prayers before meals, but neglect to make disciples? You can change out those first two things depending on, you know, what, what you do and what your age is. Maybe for you it is more like, do you focus on listening to K-Love and Christian podcasts, but neglect to make disciples? The point I'm trying to get across is exactly the point which Jesus made, which is don't focus on other things, even good things, to the point that you neglect the most important things. Guys, if we were to say, what is a Christian to be about? We could look in this passage and we could say, justice and the love of God. Now, what is the love of God? Well, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments, right? (laughs) Which makes us think of those two great commandments which is love God with all your faculties and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus' final parting instructions to us was to go make disciples. Guys, those are the main things that we need to focus on. And if we put all our work and energy into those things that don't matter as much, even if they're good things, Jesus would say to us, okay, that's cool. You shouldn't skip those things, but you should do the really important things. I think, uh, if we're honest, most of us are going to get hit by some some shrapnel from what Jesus said right there, okay? I don't think any of us focus as much as we ought to on the main things. If there is some tendency for us to be a Pharisee in this area, what we've got to do, though, is not deny it. That's not going to do anybody any good. God knows you. Uh, I've had folks tell me before that they like hearing me pray because I'm very candid in my prayers. I am very candid in my prayers because what else in the world are you going to be? I mean, you go fool God by praying a certain way. No, he knows you. So instead of saying, well, okay, I'm going to deny that I actually focus on the wrong thing. What we need to do is admit it, repent of it and fix it. We can always change going forward. 
I told you folks when I preach, you get confronted with stuff and have to make a decision. Uh, make the right decision on this. Let's look at what we do, what we prioritize, what we spend our time on, and say, is it justice? Is it the great commandment? Is it the great commission? Are, are those heartbeats of Christianity the things that we put our emphasis on? If not, let's reprioritize. Pharisees like to be seen doing religious stuff. You might be a hypocrite if you only do religious stuff when somebody is around to see. Um, when I'm at home, I, I'm, not a, uh, I'm not a chauvinistic kind of fellow that thinks uh, the dishes are Melissa's job. But whenever I do the dishes, I make sure that Melissa knows I did the dishes, okay? <laughs> if I do the dishes, I either time it to where she's coming home when I'm doing the dishes, or when she gets home, I point out that there aren't any dishes, right? <laughs> so we don't want to do this with our faith, though. We don't want to point out to other people for their affirmation the things that we do. Focusing on receiving glory in your religious practice instead of giving God glory is definitely a focus on the wrong thing. Our next thing that we learn from Jesus here is that false teachers and hypocrites lead other people astray. In verse 44, he says, Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Now, a Jew became ceremonially unclean if he touched a dead body. And the Pharisees had extended this logic to say, If you touch a grave, then you become unclean. Jesus was telling them they're causing people to become spiritually unclean by their teaching and their hypocritical behavior. One of these religious lawyers or scribes, your, your Bible may say, was there and he complained about what Jesus was saying. You know, he said, hey, you're insulting us too. That was a bad idea because it drew Jesus' fire straight on the hill. Uh, verse 45 says, one of the lawyers answered him, teacher, in saying this, you insult us also. Jesus is like, no kidding, all right? I'm just getting started. Verse 46, he says, Woe to you, lawyers, also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Now, we can all think of recent examples where politicians got caught acting extremely hypocritical. You know, they'll tell people, hey, you can't go to a restaurant. You can't go outside without a mask on. And then there'll be stuff on TV with them sitting at a restaurant with 30 other people with no mask in sight, right? That kind of hypocrisy has always been detestable. And Jesus hated it, and he's pointing it out to them. You know, I've been hearing on the news, they, they have this phrase, rules for thee, but not for me. And that's what these lawyers were doing as well. They were making laws for other people but they weren't bothering to actually fulfill those laws. Woe to you, verse 47, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. They were trying to give the impression that they were better than their fathers. They were saying, look guys, if we had been around when these prophets were here, we wouldn't have killed them. We would have listened to them. Well, this is clearly not true because they were going to kill the ultimate prophet, Jesus. Look with me in 48 through 51. He says, so you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. 
from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. So these hypocritical Pharisees and their fathers had killed God's prophets and had been accumulating guilt before God. Now these guys hadn't killed a prophet yet, but they were going to. They were planning to kill Jesus and eventually would. The dam of God's long-suffering is about to break and release the reservoir of his wrath on this generation. And Jesus was kind enough to warn them. I mean, this isn't, on the surface, the kindest passage we come across because Jesus was really confrontational. But the kindness lies in the fact that he was warning them of this judgment that was to come. He warned them harshly, but they needed a wake-up call. Religious people who aren't true disciples of Jesus are the hardest people in the world to reach with the gospel. Now, why? Well, we talked about it last week because they are self-righteous. If one of those folks is here today, you know what they're thinking right now? They're thinking, those self-righteous people sure are hard to reach. I'm glad I'm not one of them. The Christian knows and truly believes that this righteousness that he has is a foreign righteousness credited to him rather than earned by him. So guys, I can tell you before God, in God's eyes, I am legally or forensically righteous. But it is not because of my behavior. It is because of Jesus' behavior credited to me. Keep in mind, though, that this hypocrite and the disciple... If, they're, if we compare them to the cups, they look the same. That's why, guys, we can go to church with people who are depending on their own works and their own goodness for their salvation. And people who are truly understanding the gospel and trusting Christ. We can go to church with both those folks and they may look the same on the outside. That's why they are, are so hard to reach. Because one, they look the same to us. Two, they look the same to them. A lot of the times they can't tell the difference either. But don't settle for appearances. By repentance of your sins and faith in Jesus, you can be cleansed inside and outside. We can see God's judgment was going to be on this generation. Jesus points that out a couple of different times. They would distill and concentrate the kind of hypocrisy shown by their fathers in the rejection and the murder of the prophets by rejecting and murdering God's own son. Jesus gives the same warning in a parable later on, and I'm stealing my thunder because this is later in Luke. But Luke 20, verses 9 through 16, Jesus tells a story to, to say exactly the same thing here. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat him and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third, this one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What will the owner of the vineyard do to them? 
He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. Or some translations say, God forbid, or may it never be, or may this never happen. They're uh, scandalized by the very thought of this. Their response reminds me of the responses of the people to Malachi's preaching. In my reading through the Bible this morning, I read the book of Malachi, and I was reminded of this. Malachi 1.6, Jesus uh, is getting the same response from his hearers that Malachi got in his day. Malachi 1.6 says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? They're like, who are you talking about? Us? Yes, indeed. The religious leaders were leading people astray in Malachi's day. They were still at it in Jesus' generation, and they're still going strong today. So let me just let me mention to you, be careful who you listen to. You need to be able to trust your banker and your doctor and your pharmacist, but they can only mess up your finances and your health. A false teacher and a hypocrite can lead you into hell following him. Look with me in, in Luke eleven fifty two. Jesus says, Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. They not only failed to help people come to God, they actually hindered them. What a terrible judgment awaits a false teacher and a hypocrite that leads people to hell. And, uh, you know, he says here, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. Well, what is the key of knowledge? Well, in, in one respect, it is Jesus himself. You know, when Jesus was walking uh, with the disciples after his resurrection, he explained to them from the Old Testament how the Old Testament taught of him, right? And so to fail to see Jesus is to fail to see the point of the Old Testament scriptures. And so he says, you've taken away the key of knowledge and now you are leading other people in your train as you go to hell. The last thing I want us to see is that religious people without Jesus are intolerant of truth. Verses 53 and 54. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. So Jesus exposed their hypocrisy and they were enraged by that. Unfortunately, that's most often the result that we get when we talk to self-righteous people. That reinforces our teaching from the other week about how the self-righteous are actually worse off than the blatantly sinful. That is why I said that Satan would rather you go to hell from the pew than the gutter. Because you got a lot more influence in the pew and you can take people with you. When we see the drug addict in the gutter, we don't want to be like him. When we see the religious uh, person in, in the pew that looks good, the outside of the cup is all clean and shiny, we might aspire to be that. And if we are following a false teacher or a hypocrite, it would be just as damning. You have a lot more potential to take people to hell with you if you're a hypocrite in the pew. So what do we do? How do we respond to this? Well, there's one, <laughs> there's one response. If, uh, if you're in here and you, you say, you know, I'm just 
I'm not sure that I am depending on Christ rather than me. I've tried to perform well. And guys, I come across this constantly. I tell you that people who have been in church for decades, I can go to them and I say, if you die, would you go to heaven? They say, yep. I say, okay, why? Because I've, fill in the blank, I've been good. I've tried to keep the Ten Commandments. I've gone to church for 40 years. I've whatever, okay? Uh, It's a works salvation that a whole lot of people are depending on. And if you're one of those folks, I'm not talking bad about you. I'm saying I want you to, to hear and distinguish between that and the true gospel. And if you're here today and you say that might be me, then the application of actually every sermon I'll ever preach is the same. Repent and place your faith in Christ. But for those of us who are, are already believers, here's what we need to do. We need to make the main thing the main thing. If you, like the Pharisees, have been paying attention to the smaller, less important things and neglecting the main thing, we need to repent and reprioritize. Now again, reading a devotional is no problem. It's good. Keep doing it. Praying before meals is great. Keep doing it. It honors God. Uh, Listening to Caleb is great. Go for it. Um, (laughs) Those are good things. I'm not saying stop those things. What I'm saying is if you are substituting those things for the really important things, then we just have to reprioritize. So what are the main things? I'm going to review for a second because this is the heart of the message. This is what I want you to actually deal with. You know how I said when I preach there's got to be decision time? Here's the decision time. Justice. There are a lot of injustices that we can work on. Abortion and human trafficking are just two of them, but they're two that are close to my heart and are really wonderful cases of injustice that God hates and that we can partner with other people to do something about. Tonight uh, in our small group, we are going to read over the Choices Clinic prayer sheet that's on the back of the, the prayer sheet. We're going to go through that. We're going to pray for those people. I'm going to ask our folks to write a little handwritten letter to the ladies that are my heroes at the, at the clinic and give them some encouragement. And then I spoke to a lady in our, in our area, and I don't want to give many details because the nature of her work is somewhat secretive, but they are... Uh, in the planning stages of doing, uh, forming a rescue for human trafficked girls, uh, we can help them. We can come alongside them and support them. And I'm going to ask her to come and talk to our small group. Now, you say, well, I want her to come talk to my small group too. Cool, tell me, and we'll get her hooked up with you. Um, your Sunday school, whatever, I don't care. If you are in a, in a group of people and you say, I would like for this lady to come talk to me, we can arrange that because we don't just sit by and watch injustice. We actively fight injustice. Now, what else? Well, the great commandment, right? Love God and love people. If we satisfy ourselves with any little ritual, even if it's something good like like reading a devotion, listening to Christian music, whatever. If we substitute that for loving God with all that is in us and loving our neighbors in tangible ways, we're missing the point. If we fail, guys, to take seriously our call to make disciples... We're missing the last thing, the last marching orders that Jesus gave us before leaving. I think they're pretty important, don't you? 
He said, hey guys, I'm going, I'm coming back, but here's what I want you to do in the meantime. We better be doing that. We need to make disciples. Now, the church has failed to help us do that. Uh, the church has failed to equip us to make disciples in a lot of ways. Preaching is one way we make disciples because we learn from the Word. But uh, there are other ways too. Uh, small groups should be disciple-making. Sunday school should be disciple-making. But there's nothing in my mind that can replace a very small group of disciple-makers who get together intentionally to read the Word, to understand the Word, to memorize the Word, to talk about how to, how to actually study the Word and, and uh, how to be a faithful witness of the Gospel. And like I told you last week, we're doing that. Um, we're going to do it more. And we're going to do it bigger. And if you say, I want to be a part of that, hang around and you can be a part of that. Now, if you say, I don't want to be a part of that, that's not on us, okay? The church has to provide the ability for you to become a mature disciple-making disciple. That's what we got to do. What you got to do is say, I'm going to take that opportunity to do that. As a church, we need to prioritize the main things. As we plant a church, we need to prioritize the main things. And guys, if this church is going to be vibrant and growing ever again, we got to prioritize the main things. 